Today we have a special treat for you. We are talking with Alexis Miller, who is the Director of Product Management at Shell Games. And why are we talking to someone who is working in the inter entertainment industry when we are on a healthcare show, might you ask? Well, very good question. Alexis used to work with UPMC, which is a uh, major insurance and um, healthcare system in Pennsylvania. And at the time, they were involved in a very interesting project that was quite innovative too for, for the times, um, bringing gamification to the healthcare sector through an app for patients. And she's going to dive really with us today into that. Is It is really something I'm fascinated about. Um, and, and later on, she really loved that, that space and that environment and uh, did, did a hop over to Shell Games, which um, produces games, conveniently enough. Um, And be before we jump a little bit, I, I will give a little bit of context in case you're not very familiar with, with game design and with this idea of gamification. This is something that on the market has been, um, it's not new, right? In the e-commerce world, this this was a trend five, six years ago. Uh, when we were looking at, at the time, doing gamifications for things like uh, employee productivity, if you have a sales team and they have a territory, how do I motivate my employee to sell more and you know it was a big fad with introducing leaderboards and you know points and all these systems later it translated into app designs as well so the and, and it actually came from that that gaming world where they noticed that young teenagers would spend hours and hours in front of screens and they would forget to eat and they would forget to you know um bathe and, and do all the things that they're supposed to do go to sleep um, because they were so consumed by that challenge that they had in front of them and and the video games were designed in a way that really conditioned people to remain in front of that screen and create almost an addiction which is a point we do not want to get to <laughs> but it, you know the industry that the private sector started to take notice and i think now about six years later um healthcare tapped into that and all of a sudden realized well And, and actually, the project Alexis was on was a little bit before uh, right now. So it's it's a trend that started a little bit earlier. But they realized, you know what? What if we took those ideas that the gamers are, are using, that the industry for retail is using? What if we brought that into healthcare and helped patients that typically have to do tasks that are maybe boring, chores, things that they wouldn't really want to do when we're looking at um, becoming healthier? And what if we gamified it what if we made it more fun so that people want to engage with with those healthy habits and this gave rise to a, a whole new generation of apps and um you could see fitbit today is probably one of the best examples because it, it uses a lot of those mechanisms um but it can be done in, in more or less subtle ways and as we'll explore today you'll see it brings a lot of interesting dynamics it, it brings interesting dynamics in, in terms of For the patient himself what experience he's having with that app but also within a team and especially a cross-disciplinary team like the one alexis has been part of we're now looking at creatives meeting with what is traditionally perhaps more of a conservative um, industry right healthcare has to be more on the conservative side because of safety issues because of regulations and policies so traditionally it, it is less of a risk taker it is more structured it, it functions differently And the merger of these two worlds and how they adapt to each other to be able to come up with something so creative, but also that respects the patient privacy and all of the constraints that come with healthcare is a really interesting story.
So the first thing I want to look at with you, Alexis, is this very odd marriage, I guess, between the healthcare industry and maybe something as original as the entertainment industry. Now, you've actually been um, involved in projects that merge the two worlds. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I worked at UPMC, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, for about eight years. And part of that time, I had the opportunity to work on an app called Odyssey. And it was geared towards members of the health plan, so people that had insurance with UPMC. And the, the project was started out as, okay, we have these paper workbooks for health coaching programs, and we, we want to get it out to more people. So how can we do that in a, a different avenue? And the programs were stress management, weight management, smoking cessation, nutrition, and physical activity. And, you know, it, it could have easily gone the route of, okay, we're going to digitize this. It's going to turn into just like a PDF that's online. <laughs> uh, or, or maybe one step up, maybe it's like a PowerPoint with like pictures or something like that. So we were lucky that the, the director of our department at that time was a lot more creative and innovative and he he really pushed for us to do something that would be a lot more engaging for for our members. So UPMC Health Plan uh, partnered with the company Shell Games and Shell Games is also uh, based in Pittsburgh and they do a variety of things uh, from not just mobile apps which is what we worked on but also virtual reality games and theme park experiences and things like that. So um, during that experience, starting around September 2015, we worked to take that content. Uh, we started with the stress program and take that content and figure out how do we turn this into something that people will really want to engage with. And it started off as a really small project it was just teaching a couple of key skills around stress management, the, the main thing being deep breathing. And we, we had some, some guided deep breathing. Uh, we had some what we called check-ins, so kind of asking the user how they were feeling and, and documenting that information and providing some, some positive reinforcement. And that, that never went out the door. <laughs> It was it was kind of so small. It was more of a proof, proof of concept, and and it it did show that we could work together, right? So we could take people that were focused on healthcare outcomes and you know having material that was proven to be effective, and we could work with really creative people, and we could come up with something that was far more interesting than. Uh, either one of us could have done on our own and more effective than either one of us could have done on our own. Was there so that was the start. Yeah, was there anything that was surprising or different in the process when you were working together as opposed to what you did on a typical day as, as a healthcare person? I think... I think one thing that was really different was just having the opportunity to, 
to be really creative and to go beyond just kind of sitting in a room and, and thinking of, of ideas. Um, the folks we worked with at the time at Shell Games were were per particularly good at, you know, practicing human-centered design where we would do lots of fun uh, kind of activities and exercises and just throw things at the wall and see, um, see what stuck. And for a lot of people, particularly in the healthcare space, that was a, a pretty unique experience. Um, and again, I, I think we, as a result of that, we really came up with some things that no one would have seen when we started. Right. And I imagine the other way was true as well. There must have been a knowledge transfer in terms of the expertise that your team had for sure. the skills or the things that needed to be taught. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and it was, there's a lot of back and forth and a lot of collaboration um, because, you know, certainly there were aspects of the, the mobile app game design where they, you needed to make sure that it was still meeting the needs uh, of the, from the, particularly from the data standpoint. So, you know, some things that were a little bit of a conflict were things like, okay, from a healthcare standpoint, we, we want to know that we're making a difference, right? And so how do you do that with something like stress? It's hard to measure, but you have to ask people. So you have to ask them like, how are you feeling right now, you know, on a scale of one to 10 or scale of red to blue or whatever metrics you, you come up with. And so when we were working on creating the Odyssey app, you know, when you think about just a, a game that you play on your phone, you know, it's usually super easy to jump into that game, right? You're sitting on the bus, you pick up your phone and you may have had to create an account at some point, but you probably don't even have to log in anymore, right? And so, you know, for us now, we are forcing people to create an account. Oh, and by the way, you had to know your member ID in order to create an account. Then every time you use Odyssey, you had to log in because if you don't log in, we can't track your data. And then the first time you pick a program, you have to complete a survey. So like, that's a lot of hoops to jump through, right? So, you know, from a gaming standpoint, you know, they would push back on us and, and just like challenge us. Like, you know, do we really need to do it this way? Do we, you know, can we, can we sprinkle in some other things first before we jump into the survey, that sort of thing. So it's good to, to have that push and pull in both directions. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And I imagine too, because of HIPAA and so on, there's also constraints in terms of you know, the data that you're collecting and storing and there's, there's probably oh, yeah. more layers, <laughs> right? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, you know, decisions about where's the, the data stored and what are we, what are we collecting were, were huge throughout the whole process. Yeah, definitely. So tell me, because you, you've mentioned, for example, one of the skills that you were teaching through the app was the art of breathing, right? Now, um, it, it sounds very dull as an activity to someone who's not necessarily into that, that kind of realm. And that's your target audience, right? It's people that are not having those skills. So how do you make something simple and maybe boring, like breathing, fun or engaging for people? Yeah, so the... The key, I think, was number one, 
like breaking it down into something that is pretty short um, that you could you could do. So a lot of it was just audio, so listening to people talking about it, um, and then also having some some cool visuals on on your phone that you could watch with like taking a deep breath and holding it and exhaling it. Um, so nothing super sophisticated there, but I think it was, you know, it, 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 it's presented within this context of a really beautiful app with beautiful artwork and your, you know, the, the title Odyssey was represented in the game too, like as you're learning new skills, including deep breathing, you know, you're progressing throughout the the world and you're on this journey. So it's a bit of the the sort of story and symbolism behind it, I think that makes it interesting too. Yeah, and it's interesting because now you're starting to raise uh, some mechanics, I guess, some game mechanics um, in, in this frame. So when a lot of people think about gamification, they think badges and leaderboards and those kind of things. Um, but it doesn't just have to be that. And, and you were mentioning actually your app did not have these typical things. So how, right, how right. can you maybe like reframe that idea of what kind of mechanisms could we think of to, to really engage that goes beyond the badge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is so funny that anytime the word gamification comes up, immediately it's like oh yeah we'll just give people badges for completing things or like you said a leaderboard it's, it's so true um i know i i think what we focused on was not just the the outcomes that that you get from you know doing certain tasks or completing certain activities but really trying to make the experience enjoyable as well so you know, with with game design, but also I think just technology in general, you hear people talk about creating moments of delight. And that was definitely something that we we aimed to do in making the app. And, and some of the ways that we did that were in delivering the content in a lot of different ways. So there were there were texts that you had to read uh, to to just learn about new skills and, and the way that your body might be managing stress and things like that. But another way that that information was conveyed was through a chat bot. And so you were essentially texting back and forth with a character that you chose. So there was a little bit level of like personalization. So that's sort of another piece of it, right? It's feeling like you can identify with the, essentially the character that's delivering the content to you. And, and also choice. So again, making, you know, talking about engagement, it's about personalization and choice and feeling like you, you see some of yourself in, in the experience. So through the chatbot, they would say things and then you would have options. And so it was like a text conversation and, and they would make jokes and it was lighthearted. And so that was another thing that we talked a lot about was well, what's the tone of this app, right? Like healthcare is pretty serious. <laughs> and there was a little bit of concern about like making it too lighthearted. Um, but, but ultimately I think we landed on a good tone where it was, you know, it was okay that they made puns and like funny jokes. Like it, it sort of worked with the, the overall artwork and the characters and, and things like that. Um, 
And another fun thing that was sort of my favorite was we had little mini games uh, sprinkled in there where you would do something somewhat physical on your phone. So there would be a screen with bubbles on it and you would tap with your finger and by tapping the bubbles would burst and then you would get to read a motivational message behind it. So in, instead of I think it's sort of bringing it down into those small pieces and and also just iteration. You know, like I said, the first the first version of the app that we worked on never made it out into the public and that's fine and maybe it was a good thing, but we wouldn't have gotten to the end point if we hadn't started somewhere. <laughs> so um, it's okay, I guess, to start and not know where you're gonna end up. That's, that's sort of the beauty of, of doing iterative design and and really like one of the things I love about working with with technology. How did that work from a budget standpoint? Because I know some organizations are okay with sort of R&D budget of okay go and explore. Others basically say I'm assigning you like how many hours do you need? What's the outcome? How how would you make a business case or how did you convince um, people basically on this yeah. design when you don't really know like do you really know how many hours it's going to take and what you're going to get <laughs> oh man yeah it was kind of painful um, we ended up having so I think over three years we had four or five uh, statements of work with the EPM when I say we at the time, UPMC uh, with Shell Games. So, and each one got incrementally bigger. So definitely there there was a sense of having to, having to prove that this is going somewhere and, you know, there was, there was going to be value. Um, I, I think one of the selling points, you know, thinking about like, how do you kind of continue to get funding for something like this was the argument about the the reach and the scale. Because again, the prior program was all delivered through paper books and then calling and talking to a health coach on the phone. And that requires a lot of manpower to, to do those phone calls. So, you know, throughout the whole process, a big argument for this was, you know, look, even if we have a hybrid program where you're going through the app and you're talking to a health coach on the phone, it still requires far fewer people, far less manpower um, than, than if you're just strictly having people do a, a telecoaching session. So that was a big thing. And I think another big argument was just about choice. Not everybody wants to talk on the phone fewer and fewer people want to talk on the phone these days, I would say. Um, and so it's, it's giving a different a different option, a different choice for delivering what we knew was, was really solid and effective content. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I'm wondering too, from, from experience, I know sometimes when creatives walk into a room and it's a more, maybe not conservative industry, but you know, like um, maybe a crowd that's not used to creative work as much in the same scale and scope. Um, sometimes there's also that need to build trust in a way or to establish the fact that it is safe to be playful and that even if we are playful, we're not wasting money, it's part of a process or 
the fact that we're exploring or maybe even trying games or things so that we can we can get a feel for things when, when we're brainstorming. What do you feel that the team did right in, in a way to kind of establish that atmosphere and kind of say, you know what, it's going to be a different way of working, but that's also legitimate in a way? Yeah. I, I think one thing that helped a lot was honestly the fact that we could do so many things face-to-face in person. We're lucky that Shell Games is in Pittsburgh. Um, so having a lot of that face time with, with individuals at all levels of the organization, you know, from, from the CEO down to, you know, all the designers and interns, everyone that we were working with. Um, I think listening was a big thing too. So on on both sides, but I think particularly for Shell Games coming into UPMC, they were very good at at listening and sort of reiterating like, okay, this is what we hear you're saying um, that's important. This is what we tried to do. Like, you know, did we get it right? And there was definitely a lot of challenges. I mean, there there's just so many people with opinions and um, and and conflicts that come up about priorities. So it, it was certainly <clears throat> certainly not an easy process, but I, I think that that made a really big difference of the in person and and really listening. And, and you mentioned actually that there's different opinions. So often in design, we're using the user test as the ultimate guide. Did you have a chance to actually try with real people? Were you guys the testers? How yeah. Figure out what works and what doesn't work. Yeah, we did. Um, we we did do testing and we we used a, a online platform where essentially anyone across the country could could participate and you know they would they would download the app and we'd get to ask them questions and have them go through tasks and things like that so that was extremely valuable and i think something that particularly if there are conflicts it can be a great way to solve that conflict because a it's sort of a neutral party but b like you know this is who we're making it for right and And what was nice with that platform is that we were able to try to screen as best as we could to get a population that represented our population. Um, and it was actually easier to do that than than to try to get it in front of actual UPMC Healthline members. Um, you know, just dealing with, with HIPAA and trying to contact our members um, was, was quite challenging so it was easier to go through this external platform that had a large panel that again you know they're all across the United States um, but we could screen for things like you know we want people that are interested in stress management program or we want people who are smokers um, for the smoking cessation program and and that information was was extremely valuable yeah and 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 that brings a tangent topic here but this idea of bringing people to an app is also um, an interesting one right how do you onboard people because this is not something they have on their phones to start with um and and you did mention you know that the game can be great but 
then how do you get people to actually download it and try it in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. So the main way that people found out about it, especially initially, was if they reached out to the health coaching program for for health coaching. And so it became presented as as one of the options. Um, it, it definitely, we didn't really get people that were just like looking through the app store, right? Because chances are most people, if you found it in the app store and you downloaded it, if you're not a UPMC health plan number, you couldn't you know, you can use it. So, you know, I, honestly, like from an insurance company standpoint, that was probably the biggest challenge was we're creating this awesome experience, but people are pretty suspicious of their health insurance companies and don't necessarily want to engage with their health insurance companies. So that was that was a real barrier and continues to be, I think, for any program that's implemented by an insurance company, uh, unfortunately. Um, and that was a big change I saw when I I moved actually from the insurance side of UPMC to the to the patient side of UPMC. Um, it was a very different dynamic. <laughs> it felt like a lot on the insurance side, it's a lot more pulling, right? You're kind of pulling teeth. You're trying to pull people into your programs, drag them even. <laughs> um, and on the patient side, people are a lot more looking for information, um, I would say. Yeah, it's it's also a, a not a conflict, but you know, a, a situation that's a little bit um, maybe anxiety producing for some because you're a health plan that determines, you know, prices for someone, right. you know, plans and at the same time you're collecting data and the fact that there is a login which is used to help you progress but then there's there's that um, dilemma I guess of oh am I feeding information that's gonna backfire if I don't do well with the app or something like that oh yeah yeah absolutely yeah we we talked about that a lot I mean especially if something like smoking because if you say you're a smoker I mean your insurance is going to be more expensive right so we're we're definitely aware of that being something that is just a, a barrier to entry and i can't say that we overcame it um but we we certainly did our best to acknowledge it and try to make it as as welcome and kind of non-intimidating as possible great so this was back in 2015 this is almost five years ago um, I see today in the App Store, there are so many apps that do things that are quite similar, right? Or, or that explain right. ideas. Do you think in today's world, this kind of um, app or idea makes sense from a healthcare um, provider perspective or an insurance? Or has it become, and especially with the tech giants that are coming in and with the Apple Watch and all these um, extra players, whose turf is it these days? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a great question, and it's a, it's definitely a good point. You know, with all the things that are in the App Store, I mean, forget health. Just let's talk about apps in general. Like it's flooded. There's a there's a ton of stuff out there, and so I think what we were focused on was, you know, this is a unique product because it's got UPMC's name on it. And 
yeah, you can download the call map, you can download my fitness pal, you can do stuff with Apple Watch. Um, but that none of those organizations are healthcare organizations. So, you know, I, I think in a sea of information, people do try to, you know, find someone that they can view as an expert. And so our hope was that that would be something that would encourage people to do it. Another thing was that some of these apps are not free or maybe the app is free, but there's paid services. And so this was something that was uh, entirely free for, for members. And then, you know, there is also various incentive programs that exist um, when you're a health plan member where they're trying to incentivize people to do healthy, healthy habits. So, um, so there is incentives that were, that were behind trying to get people to use the app too. So, because that reduces the risk, right, for insurance, because people... Yeah, I've, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, despite people's skepticism about insurance companies, they're financially incentivized for you to be healthy. <laughs> so, um, yeah. True. And I, I often say this, but it, it makes me smile because I, I've been in a couple of different health systems. And um, when you're looking at single-payer systems, they're isn't that dichotomy so much because if your government also pays the bill and they, right right like, and they treat you then they're kind of aligned on let's try to make this efficient whereas here in this market i feel the insurance has taken a little bit of that role of um you know the shoulder that maybe a government might in, in some other parts of the world um yeah I'm going to shift gears um towards a complete this is a very pointy question but i'm very curious too so when you're looking at an experience often this idea you spoke about delight right creating delightful experiences um i wanted to bring this idea of surprise or randomness um versus mm -hmm. predictability sometimes when we have games or or experiences where i as a player because you mentioned for example you can unlock levels or there's different mechanisms in that app can you talk a little bit about that balance of creating that element of surprise versus also rewarding behavior consistently. Yeah. One way that we, that we address the, the element of surprise, I think was with having the progression in the app, having things be locked. So you could, you could see an icon of a lock, basically. You could see that there were, you know, four more scenes for you to progress through, um, but not see what was there. So a little bit of anticipation. Um, also, it served the purpose of sort of the opposite of surprise, which is just setting expectations. Like, how long is this going to be? Is this going to take me a few hours to use this app? Or is this going to take a few weeks? Um, because that's important, too. And then, you know, one of the functions of the app was push notifications and those notifications were, were check-ins. So they're asking you for the stress one, how are you feeling uh, for, you know, for the smoking one, you know, are, are you having urges to smoke, things like that. And that was something that was really important to, we had a lot of discussions about like, do you randomize when those notifications happen or do you make it sort of a, a routine predictable thing? 
Um, those surprises aren't necessarily going to cause de delight, though, right? Um, so I think it's it's an important piece, though, because ha you know having so the interaction where you you see a little fortune cookie and you tap it with your finger. The first time you do it, there's real surprise there, right? When it breaks open and then all of a sudden there's this motivational message. Um, when you see it the second time, you don't quite get that same sense of, of fun and surprise. But the the messages, the motivational messages were, were random. So there was there was some element still of, of surprise there. Yeah, that's exciting <laughs> because it would be very costly <laughs> to constantly generate completely new experiences every time. So I guess right, right. this is a, a, an in-between solution. And and to that point too, the way the chatbot worked was kind of like that as well because you could go back and you could sort of re-read re or redo different sections of the app and you could get different outcomes, particularly through that chatbot because you had choices during that conversation, and based on the choices you made in the conversation, the dialogue would branch in different ways. Yeah, um, it makes me think a lot about KPIs when I hear you talk about the different kinds of experiences, because in one way you could measure your success based on the, the amount of time I stay on the app and do activities. So that's one measure of engagement, but there's maybe another profile. If I'm extremely busy, my personal, uh, like as a patient, maybe maybe one way is how how much time i get to spend and enjoy it but maybe another profile of users might say well i'm really busy can i get in get what i need and get out and the shorter the, the time spent the more valuable it is to me how yeah. figure out what those success measures are when when your population has such diametrically opposed maybe objectives or <laughs> yeah how useful that is yeah um, especially in the healthcare world that's so true because You know, in the in the gaming world that I'm in now, I show games. I can't think of any example where a shorter time spent in the game would be a good thing. <laughs> but but with the healthcare, it, it, you know, it's true because it's not only a shorter time in the game might not just be that you're busy and that's your preference, but it might be that the intervention is working. You know, your your you've made progress with quitting smoking. And so you don't need to open the app as often. Um, so I would say we, we ended up measuring a lot of those things, but not necessarily using length of time in the app as a key performance indicator. Um, One of the things we did use as a key performance indicator was how many times people completed the check-ins, those push notifications. Um, you know, from a data perspective, those were super valuable to us because that was the only way we really knew if the intervention was working. Because maybe you spend hours in the app, but if you keep saying you're stressed, then that's not good. Um, so, you know, the also, The more often that people did those check-ins, the more data we had on the aggregate to see, you know, is this program working or not. Um, but that was tough because, again, you know, here's the healthcare, we want to collect data thing, butting up against the game engagement thing. Because, like, we all know, if you get too many push notifications from an app, you might just delete it. <laughs> I certainly have. 
so, um, you know, so that was a balance. And I think, you know, I've moved on from UPMC, and so I don't know sort of the, the current state of the push notifications, but I, I believe that they ended up decreasing the frequency of them because that was such a challenge and seen as a barrier. And it was something that I, I know when I was there, we saw during the user testing, um, you know, people, you know, they, even if you intellectually know why it's there and that it's helping you, it's still annoying. It's still pinging you when you're like going to the bathroom or something. You're like, oh. <laughs> so. Yeah, that, it can be detrimental to your, your relationship there with the, the app, definitely. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of push and pull with it. <laughs> Definitely. So, um, just to wrap up a little bit, um, I, I want to just step back for a moment and, and kind of reflect on this idea of whether it's gamification specifically or, or patient engagement in a more in a broader sense. Um, with all these new technologies, there's a lot of technologies coming out with IoT because of aging populations, because of chronic diseases that may need, you know, longitudinal data and data maybe or actions outside of the visit with the physician. So when we're when we're looking at those scenarios, it, it might be tempting to say, oh, gamification is really simple, um, like anyone can do it. What would you say are like the difficult parts or the maybe things people don't think about that actually, you know, <laughs> it's not as easy as one might think? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um... <sighs> I mean, I think in all game design, no matter how many years of experience people have or how many smart people, creative people you put in a room, you you really just can't predict how people are going to respond to your game until you put it in front of people. <laughs> and, you know, something that sounds really cool, sitting, sitting in a room brainstorming together, um, you know, might be misinterpreted by people or might just not have the intended impact. So, you know, I, I think it's really a broad statement to make, but it's just extremely true that getting your game, your product, your whatever the intervention is in front of, of real people and observing it with an open mind too, because also easy to put things in front of people and set it up so that you're going to get results that validate what you wanted to see so that that's that's important too is making sure that you're not just setting yourself up to get results that you want but you're actually getting authentic results and you're building time into your schedule to make changes because that's really hard too you know you have a certain budget and a limited amount of time um You know, I've been in multiple projects where you get great insight and then you just don't have time to make the changes. Right. Wow, that's great advice. Well, thank you so very much. I think is a, a very, you know, a topic we hear a lot about, but not so much in depth. And I, I thought it was very interesting to <laughs> go into the weeds and see what. Yeah, 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 it's cool. And it's, um, I, I feel really really fortunate to have had both experiences of working in healthcare and now working uh, at Shell Games. So it, it's cool to, to be on both sides of the table. It's a unique experience. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing all that with us, Alexis. Yeah, you're welcome. It was great talking with you.
as you can see, today's episode really brought forth that question of motivation. And we looked at a very classic, I guess, <laughs> paradigm of intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation. And of course, gamification has been at the forefront of the healthcare space, um, especially with digital healthcare um, for the past years. And it is one of many emergent models. There has also been, if we're looking at the opioid abuse crisis, this idea of motivational interview, there has been new schools of thoughts also in terms of web designs um, that, that are actually maybe not so new after all, but uh, that look at uh, neurology, at how the brain maybe is conditioned and how it reacts with emotions. There's other fields that are looking at it from an economical, uh, behavioral economics perspective. So a great many deal of um, approaches to this approaches that for the most part are moving more and more towards self-determination towards um, having someone a patient be engaged and active and really banking on um, getting them to be the catalyst of that change so if that's something that you're really interested by i have actually dug a little bit deeper since those interviews have been recorded through my work and through a lot of also reading and exposure and, and talks with people in the industry and the next episodes coming up are actually going to be a series of reviews and not just reviews <laughs> um, telling you about these uh, these great topics and, and the resources but um, really a, an integrative point of view trying to understand all these disciplines have um, somewhat different lenses but they they do converge in, in some instances and trying to really understand through this whole diversity of looking at motivation, how, how can we approach this topic holistically? What can we um, drive as insights from all these very rich disciplines? If you're into that, I invite you to subscribe. And within the next month or two, I'm going to be slowly releasing a couple of those um, great pointers and invite you to explore further with me. Thank you.